All right, how we doing? Good, good, good. Well, again, happy Mother's Day. Uh, thanks for being with us. Um, really, really appreciate that. Uh, so this morning I wake up and I'm laying there and I'm just kind of praying uh, in the bed before my alarm goes off and I'm thinking, um, and, and I believe with everything in me that God is in complete control always at all times. He's sovereign and well aware of everything. But me and him had this little conversation this morning. I'm like, but God, are you sure? Which is, is a dumb question on my side. I know that. I know, but I just want to make sure that he's sure. Really what I want to make sure is that he reassures me uh, of, of where we're headed. And so I'm laying there and just thinking, and I'm like, but God, you know this is a weird Mother's Day sermon, right? Like, you're aware of that? Like, and he's like, son, remember, I'm aware of everything at all times. I'm good. We've got this. I've got this for you. And so I said, all right, well, let's, let's, let's do it because... It's going to be extremely awkward in one sense, but in another sense, I believe it's, it's needed. And what I mean by believing it's needed is this, is my heart is to preach the full counsel of God. And so we, we don't need a day set aside to celebrate moms. We're going to celebrate moms every day, right? I mean, we are thankful for the reality that God blessed us with mothers and blessed us with strong, godly women in our lives. And so we're going to celebrate that. And so the force behind everything we do in this place is going to be dictated by God's word, not some cultural setting or, or some cultural date that's been placed upon us. Um, and so we're going to celebrate the reality of who Jesus is and what he has done. And so our heart is always going to be to be in tune with the word of God, to be looking and focused on the word of God. And so this morning, I'm just gonna continue. Uh, and again, I believe in God's sovereignty and believe that God is well aware of what today is. And, and I believe that he is well aware of what he wants to say in this place this morning. And so we're just gonna press into that and allow him to lead us this morning as we continue in our series on Acts. So we've been walking through the book of Acts and, um, and I believe that there is no better way to be a better mom or to be a better woman of God than to know and submit to all that God has said to be well aware of what he has said and what he has asked us to do as believers. And so I don't have a 10-step sermon this morning on how to be a better mom. Besides, I'm a dude, I'm not a mom, I'm a dad, and so that would not end well, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't know 10 steps on how to be a better mom. And so what I do know is this, is when God's word is loved, when it's cherished, when it's obediently submitted to, that will bring about a change in you that will help you be a, a better mom, a better woman, a better husband, a better dad, just a better person in general, a holy person in general. So that's what our heart and our plan is this morning. So again, happy Mother's Day, um, happy Mother's Day. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're gonna be in the book of Acts chapter 19. We'll start in verse 11, Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Last week we were introduced to Apollos, a man who is well, well versed in the scriptures. And so he comes to get a better understanding of what he needs to know as it pertains to God's word. And this married couple steps into his life, Priscilla and Aquila, and they uh, intentionally pull him aside to better help him understand what he needs to be proclaiming, what he needs to be teaching. And so uh, later on in the story, we see Paul step in and he comes uh, to Ephesus and there's some disciples there uh, who had not received the Holy Spirit. They were familiar with the baptism of John, but not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so normally what happens uh, is you would ask someone if they believe and you assume that they have the Holy Spirit. Uh, because at conversion, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, lives in us. Uh, uh, and so you believe at they come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit lives inside them, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul, Paul does something different. He asks these disciples, and he wants them to be able to point back to some evidences of the Holy Spirit working in and through them, and they were unaware of, and so he lays hands on, and the Holy Spirit, uh, uh, they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so we looked at a few more things last week, and so if you missed any of those talks, you can check those out online on our website, download those, or, or check them out there. And so I'm going to ask you this morning before we dive into Acts chapter 19, if you'll, if you'll pray with me one more time. God, we need you this morning. 
in this place. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would move and work in a mighty way. Uh, Jesus, we're dependent upon you. And so God, just in this moments, as we look at your word, as we proclaim your truth, God, we're believing that you are in control and that you know exactly what you wanna say to every heart here this morning. Not just a certain person, but every heart here this morning. God, your word uh, just needs to invade the spaces of our heart. And so God, we pray that your Holy Spirit would draw, that your Holy Spirit would convict. God, that your Holy Spirit would encourage. God, we pray that your Holy Spirit falls heavy in this place and you fill us with your presence. And so God, I just wanna pray this morning for the one here maybe that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. God, maybe for the one here this morning that thinks this is crazy and just ridiculous, God, I pray that whatever the case is, whatever the heart that doesn't know you is here this morning, God, I pray, Lord, in this moment that you would start to do a work in their heart. God, that you start to draw them, that you start to uh, have them ask questions, God, that you start to have them press into. So God, I pray for that heart this morning, maybe hearts. And God, for those here this morning that's hurting, that needs encouragement, God, I pray that this would be just a a fresh uh, breath of air this morning as we look at your revealed word and we hear from your heart what you've done in this world and what you continue to do. So God, we acknowledge we need you. Jesus, I need you. God, I'm a little unsettled, a little uneasy. And so God, I pray this morning in this place, God, that you would speak, that you would move. God, use me, your vessel, somehow, some way to bring you glory, you honor. In your name we pray, amen. So Acts chapter 19, verse 11, let's just jump right in. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Uh, the first question I wanna ask is this, who was doing miracles? God, okay, we, we can do better. It's Mother's Day, man, we're packed out, right? Who was doing miracles? That's exactly right, God. I just always wanna point to that reality. All glory always goes to God, not man. And so what was so special about the Apostle Paul? Absolutely nothing, nothing. He was just a man just like any man in this room. He was just a person just like any person in this room. Nothing special about the Apostle Paul except the fact that God has invaded his life, has changed his heart, and has radically using him for his glory and for his honor. So I always wanna point out that it's always for God. He is the one doing and using and moving. No glory and honor goes to Paul. You you don't see that there. It says no extraordinary miracles were done by the hands of Paul, so God uses Paul but it was God doing the work. It would kind of be like this, um, and and it's a perfect illustration kind of in in our context today. As you see, there are tons of houses being built everywhere, right? It would be like going to one of those job sites and finding the the foreman or the head construction guy, um, carpenter, and being like, hey, uh, come here for a second, buddy. And he walks over to you like, yeah, what's up? You you looking for a house? No, man, I just wanna see what hammer you're using. Do what? Let me just see the hammer that you're using. Okay, man, that's a good hammer. Oh, that hammer can build a house. I don't even think they use hammers anymore. It's more like, like a gun thing, you know? Like, that just shows how in, out of touch I am with it. A nail gun, not a guy or something, a gun thing. <laughs> nail gun, I'm sorry. Like, I'm uneducated about it, I know, but not that far. <laughs> so, man, man what, a, what, a, what a hammer. That hammer, that's an awesome hammer. And I can just imagine the guy like scratching his like, what? I'm the one that swings the hammer. Yeah, but man, that hammer built that hat. Look at what it's done. Man, those windows, those gutters. I don't know, whatever you hammer, the boards that you can't. Anyways, you, you see what I'm saying? Wouldn't it be crazy to go to that job site and say, uh, forget about the contractor and his team. 
They used the instruments to construct the house, did they not? So why would you give glory to the hammer? You don't, you give it to the one that has built it. And so in this case, it's God. God is the one that's using Paul as an instrument for his glory and for his honor. That's what God does with Paul. He uses him in a mighty, mighty way. But you know what, he does the same thing for us. He uses us for some reason outside of ourselves, for the honor and glory of God. Now look at, look at how Paul, um, look at how God makes sure that, that Paul gets all, I mean that God gets all glory and honor out of Paul. Look, look at this in verse 12, it says this, it says, so that even the handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Do you catch that? I mean, God is so in this, and God wants to take all of, of the glory and honor off Paul because what he does is he uses his handkerchief. He uses his hanky to heal people. All I know is this is I've never walked into the hospital room, pulled out my snot rag, and let somebody touch it, and they get better and walk out. That, that's never happened. I wouldn't do that to you. I mean, that, that would, no, I would not do that. That's never happened. So is this not just a God move, though? Happy Mother's Day, right? I mean, this is awesome. We're talking about snot and building houses. This is great. God's got to be in this somewhere. I mean, think about it for a moment. Is, is that not a God move? I mean, when was the last time you touched a hanky and got better? I mean, I mean, you never go to the doctor like, here, just touch this for a moment. I mean, this, this is all God. Now, they'll write you a prescription or they'll get, get you on some sort of regimen or they'll, all of that stuff, but they're just, they just wanna touch his hanky. And so God uses that, not the thing that Paul has. So no credit and glory, it all goes to Paul, but it goes to God. And so now the story's gonna take this weird twist because as a result of God using Paul, some are gonna try to get in on the action. Some are gonna try to uh, take advantage of. And so there will always be those who try to manipulate and figure out how to use the things of God to get personal glory and gain from it. Look at what happens next in the story, verse 13. It just continues to get more weird. So verse 13 says, and, and I'm sorry, I'm just everywhere, right? But if you've ever questioned or wondered about the word of God, I mean, I love how it doesn't hide anything. I mean, I probably wouldn't have put this story in there if like I was one of the, uh, like, let's edit this thing, let's find out. Like, but, but this, I mean, this is just an amazing story. I mean, look, uh, the sense of humor of God, the amazing stories of God, and, and we've got this here. Verse 13, then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. So, so there, you've got these Jewish exorcists, and I don't know how you get in on that, but, but they, they decide that they're gonna do some of this stuff that Paul's doing. They're gonna step out, and they're gonna give this a try, give this a shot. They're gonna step into this whole exorcism stuff and, and see what happens. Verse 14 says this. It says that the seven sons of a, a, high, a Jewish high priest named Sceva we're doing this. So you've got seven boys going to step out, Jewish exorcists, and they're going to partake in what Paul is doing. So they see what's happening, they see what's going on, and they decide they're going to try it out. They, in essence, say, Jesus, you know the one Paul's talking about? To this man with an evil spirit in him. You, you know, Jesus, that guy. You need to listen up now, because I've got something to tell you, evil spirit. And look at how he responds, verse 15. It says, but the evil spirit answered them, this is where it gets scary. Jesus, I know. Paul, I recognize. But who are you? Uh -huh. Jesus, I'm aware of Jesus. I know him. The Spirit's talking to him. Evil spirit. Yeah, I'm aware of Jesus. Yeah. Paul, I've heard of Paul. But who are you? I don't know about you, but in that moment, I'm out. 
Like, I'm out of the field of exorcism, you know? Like, I'm, I'm going to go back to farming. I'm going to figure out something else to get into. Maybe uh, blacksmith. I don't know. But I, anything but exorcisms now. If they know Jesus, they're aware of Paul, but they're like, who are you again? Never heard of you. I'm unaware of who you are. Uh, that, that just blows my mind. Not to, be, not to be familiar with you. And they, they keep on. And so then look at how this one man with the evil spirit responds to these Jewish exorcists, these seven men. It says, and the man in whom uh, uh, was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. They got worked, man. They got worked over beat up. I remember a few years back, um, I'm, not a, I'm a lover, not a fighter, so I, I don't, I'm not big in like to the UFC stuff or boxing, but there was a big match coming up, and so I remember a buddy ordered it, and so I go over to his house to watch it. One, it's just way too late at night for me. Like, I'm, I'm a parent now, so we go to bed. Like, if we can get in bed by like 10, it's like, it's an act of God, you know? So, um, so happy Mother's Day. So, um, dad, you should have done that for your wife last night, but um, Anyway, so we're over there, we're watching this fight and things like that, and we're in like the first round, second round, they were talking about, oh, say how I anticipated, it should end quick, like these two fighters, the one, and so the one's washed up, and so they just keep going, seventh round, eighth, I don't even know how many rounds, but it felt like it went on forever. And you know what, nobody got knocked out. I was ticked, like I don't watch those things, but when I do, I wanna see somebody, teeth knocked out, blood, you know, I, like, I want, I'm going man for a moment on this thing, I wanna see something cool happen. Like knock him over the ropes, into the crowd, take out three people, I mean, it's gonna be awesome. None of that, none of that. So what did they have to do? They had to go to the cards, to the judge, to find out who won the fight and who lost the fight. And it's weird because they score him 10-9, 10-9. And like the one guy, I felt like won, but the other guy may have won. And you just don't know. Why? Because they're both still standing. Let him go at it, man, you know? So all I know is this, is, is, is what I see here, that's not the case. That's not the case at all. If you enter a fight with your clothes and you leave without them, bro, you got worked, you know? <laughs> you walk in with pants and you leave without pants? I don't care what kind of hook you got in third round. That, that doesn't matter. You know what I mean? You had clothes on and you left without them. You lost. It's over, period. Period. It's over. I don't care how great of a right hand you've got. Brother came dressed and now he's naked. We know who wins. We know who wins. So what does that have to do with anything this morning? I'm glad you asked because where I want to press you here is this thought. Do the forces of darkness know who you are? Do the forces of darkness know who you are? Like if you walk up into some spiritual something and uh, maybe some warfare, or maybe something's going on you're not even aware of, and there's dark forces at hand in here, I, I, I believe that. I believe there's spiritual warfare. I believe that there's a realm that we are unaware of. If God was to pull back the curtain, would probably kill us all dead out of fear. I believe there are forces that work against us that there is darkness. I, I believe what the scripture says whenever the Bible says the, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy, that he's got those that work for him, and I'm not talking about like your, your neighbor that's not, not, or your cousin, that's not what I'm talking, I'm talking, you, we don't fight flesh and blood is what the scripture teaches. We fight against the darkness, the principalities of this dark world, that's what we fight against. There's, there's fallen angels, and I believe that if, if we were to see that realm of things, and so I believe that there is a spiritual warfare that takes place, that there's a battle between good and evil. And we know, hear me, I'm, just, I'm getting off topic. Happy Mother's Day. Um, uh, I'm, every time I just go somewhere, I can just say that and we get right. It's good, right? That'll make it easy. I, I just believe 
Like, like we've got this skewed vision of good versus evil because all I know simply this is that in the end, Jesus shows up and he just speaks and everybody falls out. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the favorite, my favorite scriptures I read to my little boy sometimes, uh, one because it's got a horse in it and because it's got like this picture of Jesus, like he comes riding in on a white horse, tattoo on his thigh, eyes blazing, tongue as a sword, and he's just, he just wears Satan out. And there's not a fight like where Satan's almost like, oh, he's got him against the ropes. No, that never happens. Jesus just speaks and Satan just, just bows down. Like the battle is not like this epic battle moment where like, oh, could good win or not? I don't know. No. No, it's already decided. We know who wins. Jesus just speaks and, and, and evil just stops in their tracks. They fall at the feet of Jesus. I don't know why I shared that, but that was just there. And, but there is this battle of good and evil, light and dark. And my question is this, is the dark aware of you? Do they know you? How would they know you? Do they know you by the way that you pray, by the way that you encourage, by the way you speak the truth and the word of Jesus, by bringing grace and mercy? Are they familiar with you? I just believe with everything in me they should. I just believe that when we step into that moment, like, like the darkness should just shudder, like crud, they're back. Those crazy believers that are praying all the time, I mean, for whatever reason, God just listens to them and just moves in a mighty way. Boys, let's pack up and go somewhere else. Like, I just, I believe it should be like that for us. We've got that kind of access to the throne. We've got that kind of access to prayer. So mothers, are you a mom that prays? Are you a mom that seeks God, that, 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 that the darkness knows who you are, that the darkness shudders at the reality of, of your relationship and walk with Jesus? Like, like, dang it, they're pouring back into their kids again. There they go praying for this situation or that situation. If those moms would just stop if those believers would just quit for a moment, give us a second to catch our breath because Jesus just keeps running us out, just keeps working us over. Man, does the dark know you is the question I would ask here because I believe that it should. I believe that the evil forces should be aware of us. And, we, and the thing that we need to know and realize is that we're a force to be reckoned with, church. We're a force to be reckoned with. Man, the darkness has nothing on us. All I know is if we have the power of Jesus and every time in scripture you see demons shudder at the reality when he shows up. Demons stop what they're doing. The evil forces stop in that moment when Jesus makes his presence known. And I just believe that should be us too. Story goes on, 16. Uh, nope, 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 17. Verse 17, it says this, and this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greek. So, so everybody's aware, everybody, everybody hears what just happened. Everybody sees what's taking place and it says, and, and fear fell upon them all and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. So God uses these phonies to get, get his name, glory and honor. So God uses two major things to get glory and honor. He uses hankies and he uses hypocrites. You know what I'm saying? Is that not amazing? He uses a hanky from a man and he uses all these, these, these seven hypocrites here who try to do something in the name of the Lord but don't know the Lord. They're unaware. They, they try to emulate and they try to copy so they can get glory and honor and God uses them. And so look at how these that come to faith respond to Jesus. Verse 18, it says, also many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. Like, I, I just love this. I love the rawness of scripture. 
I love how those who just get saved, they're so in tune with, they're so amped up on, just trying to please the Lord that it says that, that there's no shame, they don't care about what anybody else thinks, what anybody else is gonna say because Jesus has outed them on all of their sin, which he's done the same thing for us, the reality is this, is that every single one of us in this room are broken and fractured. Every single one of us in this room have got issues and hangups. I mean, that's what I just love about They don't care. They don't care about their sin. They come and they, they confess and they divulge it. They're excited. They're excited that even, that he would even want them and desires to have a relationship with him. That's the driving force behind what they're doing. And so all I know is this, somewhere along the way, we get crusty and, and uh, we get dignified and we try to hide that. We try to play the little church games. And so I just want to breathe easy this morning over every one of us. He knows us. He has outed us. And I don't care how many ties you put on, how nice you get dressed up and put together. Apart from Jesus, you're a mess. And every single one of us in this room this morning who has come to Jesus Christ through faith, every single one of us has come the same way. Sin-ridden, broken, in desperate need of help and redeeming by a Savior. Every single one of us. So if you think your sin is not as bad as somebody else's, you need to get over that. Because the reality is this, Jesus dies on the cross for your sin, no matter how small you may think it is. So the reality is this, we also have issues and junk that we battle daily, do we not? I mean, if you say that you don't, then you're worse spot than you think you are. That you're either blind to it or you're not his. Either you're blind to it or you're not taking sin seriously. The illustration that I like to use and I've used since I've been here is, is I'm 35 now and I've been saved for about 24 years. And I was sure by now I'd be further along than I am in my walk with Jesus. There are times that I go home at the end of the day and I'm like, are you kidding? I did that? I thought that? My heart wanted to run to that? I wanted to have partaken that? I wanted to say that? I thought about that? I'm, like, I'm 35 and got two. God, are you serious? I mean, I just, I look at my life and I'm like, I, I would have felt by now for sure I would be further along. But is it not a work of God every moment of every day? And what I know is this, is that there are the same people in this room too with the same thing going on. And the reason why I know that is because you're alive and you're breathing and you're still here. See, we fight to the very last breath against our flesh and its desires. I don't care who you are, how old you are, how young you are. It's gonna be a fight and a battle that you're gonna engage in every moment of every day because what I know is when you put your sword down, that's when the enemy will overwhelm you. That's when the enemy will overtake you. That's what'll happen. And look what these believers do. Look at what happens in verse 19. It says, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. I mean, is this not big at what happens here in Ephesus? I mean, they bring all their books and they burn them. I'm not saying we need to burn books, but look at what, they, look at what happens here. I mean, it counts to be over 50,000 pieces of silver. See, we know more about the church here at Ephesus than any other church named in the Bible. We've got more information, we've got more books, we, we know more stuff, we see more stuff in the scriptures that happen. We see their birth here in the book of Acts. We have the letters to the church at Ephesus in our New Testament book of, of Ephesians. And then we have Timothy, who was an elder there. We also, uh, an elder there at Ephesus, we also have first and second Timothy. We have John, who was an elder there as well. So we've got first, second, third John. And then Jesus addresses the church at Ephesus once again in Revelations. I'm gonna put it uh, on the board here, Revelation chapter two. Verse four, this is what Jesus says about this church here, about these believers here. 
He says, but I have this against you. I don't know about you, but you're gonna take notice of what Jesus has. If Jesus has something against anything, we, we wanna know what that is. Why? So we don't fall into that. So we don't become overtaken by whatever has overtaken them, whatever has caused them to get their eyes off of Jesus. But Jesus says, I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So this is Jesus here saying to the church at Ephesus, if you don't repent and get back to what you were doing at first, I'm gonna remove my lampstand. What does that mean? It means this, my presence, my power, my work, all of that stuff I'm gonna pull from you. All of that stuff I'm gonna gonna take from you if you don't get back to doing what you were doing at first. So this sounds a little anti-gospel, does it not? What are you talking about? It sounds a little anti-gospel with Jesus saying, hey, you better do this. If you do this, then you're gonna get this from me, my presence. But we don't earn the presence of God. That's not how it works. It's not we do this and God comes on us or we do this and then God moves. No, that's not how it works. God is gracious. God is merciful. So we don't earn the presence of God with behavioral modification, but acting a certain way. So what's he talking about? What is he sharing? What is he telling the believers here? What's he, what's he want them to get? And so the thing that we see here in the Bible that the church of Ephesus does is in the beginning they repent and they confess. They repent and they confess. They're raw and real. I mean, I love this about this church. I mean, can you imagine the church gathering and the people of God, believers coming forward and divulging and confessing their practices? I mean, it's probably not a church I want my kids to go to, but I mean, it's a beautiful, amazing church. I mean, think about it. They're coming and they're confessing sin. I mean, deep dark sin. It's not like, well, I've only read the Bible twice this week and I only prayed for 30 minutes. God help me. Okay, brother, go on your way. No, 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 no. I mean, that witchcraft stuff going on here. They're burning their books, practicing sorcery type stuff. I mean, that's demonic, church. That's 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 the stuff they're confessing. That's the stuff that they're talking about and they're coming forward and they're divulging uh, in front of one another and confessing and and there's, there's no shame. There's nothing hidden there. They're just sharing. And Jesus says, if you don't get back to that, my presence is gonna be gone. Maybe we're onto something now in the church in America. We've gotten too prettied and dolled up for Jesus. Look, see, what I know is this, is that Jesus comes to those who need him. And maybe the church today has gotten to the place where we don't need him. And we'd never say that, right? I mean, we're dignified church folk here on Sunday morning. Happy Mother's Day. We'd never go that route. But you know what I've learned? You don't have to say it with your mouth for your heart to believe it and live it out. You don't have to confess it with your mouth. We would never do that. Yeah, I've gotten bigger than God. I don't really need him. But the reality is this, our lives reek of it, does it not? Our lives reek of that reality. And so what Jesus says to the church there at Ephesus here in Revelation, that if you don't get back to what you were doing, your first love. See, the non-believers saw this and they started becoming believers and they bring their books of witchcraft and they burn them. They want nothing to do with them. Why? Because Jesus is better than what they had. They don't want a chance going back to the thing that drew them away from him. Hear me, church. I mean, that's a sermon in and of itself, is it not? Get rid of whatever it is that takes you away from Jesus. That's what we need to do. We need to be that serious. Like I can remember in college, there was a guy in my class that brought his computer to the teacher. And the teacher's like, what do you want me to do with this? He's like, I want you to keep it until I can handle it. What do you mean? I want you to put a password on it. And the only way that I can get on that is in front of you here in this, in this building. 
Are you serious? If I don't teach her, it's gonna kill me. The addiction that he had become addicted to through pornography. And so he was willing to get rid of, do whatever he had to do to eliminate that, that distraction or that temptation. He was that serious. And Jesus says, if we are not that serious, he's gonna remove his presence from us. He's gonna remove it. And so what I know about a room like this is simply this, is man, we are some messed up folk. And it's because of the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that anybody can even walk into this room. And we all walk with a limp. You hear me? You tracking? Every single one of us in this room walks with a limp. And the reason why I know that is because we're not before him in glory. And we won't walk perfectly until we're before him and his presence made whole fully by him. Yeah, yeah, we're positionally full and we're positionally holy and we're declared righteous, but we're still in the shell of a body and we're gonna fight the flesh till the day we die. And church, anytime we move away from that or we move past that or we think more highly of ourselves than we should, we are in a dangerous, dangerous place. And that's what he is telling the, the church here at Ephesus. See, we're witnessing this environment where there's this authentic and honest and legitimate community, a gospel community that understands the gospel has set them free, not to pretend that they, they're more than they are, not to pretend like they've got it all together. We see that they are people that are marked by ongoing, never stopping confession and repentance. That's who they are. That's what they're marked by, by the Lord. That's what they're known for. Listen to what 1 John says. Here's, here's another elder there. Look at what he says. He says this, 1 John 1, 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you hear that there? John there at Ephesus. See, one mark of a true gospel-centered community is that they don't pretend that they're more than they are. We don't pretend. We don't put ourselves on a pedestal. No, they're authentic, they're honest, they confess. And confession should mark our life. It's not something we do once and then we move on from. No, we should always be confessing. We should always be finding accountability. We should always be coming before the throne. Hear me, there is no victory over sin where there is not a willingness to be honest. So I guess the way, the way I'd ask it or the question I'd ask you is this, who knows you? I mean, who fully knows you? The deep, dark secrets of your heart, the little things that you lock away. Because hear me, church, I am pleading with you for the sake of your joy, for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of those who might come to know and trust Jesus to not pretend to be more than you are. Mother's Day message, here we go. Moms, be real with your kids. Be real. I've got a mom and I know that she's a mess. She's not here, I can say that, right? Just like every other mom in this room's a mess. Just like every other person in this room's a mess. Just like I'm a mess. We've all got hangups, we've all got issues. So what I plead with you this morning, church, is this is don't pretend to be more than you are. Live in the reality of his grace and his mercy. That's what's so amazing about the gospel. That's what's so amazing about the cross is the fact that, 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 we, that it's level, that the ground is level at the cross and he invites us, he bids us to come knowing good and well who we are and what we've done. That's what's so amazing about the grace we just sang about. Well, what you just sang, that's, that's what's so beautiful about those lyrics, amazing grace, because we've done nothing to earn it. We've done nothing to deserve it. Grace is unmerited favor bestowed upon us. Why? Because God is good and loving. It's his nature and his character. So moms, in the room, I beg of you, don't pretend to be more than you are. You share with your kids. 
You share that struggle, you share that fight, and I know all of us depending upon uh, their age and where they're out and, they're, and there's certain things, but, but you, be, you be open and you be vulnerable before your kids because hear me, I believe that that will do more for them in the long run than you pretending to be all dolled up and perfect. All the while they watch and they see and they hear and they know that mama's a mess. They know that we've got issues. Dad, same thing for you. Same thing for you. If we would just be real and honest, don't fake it or pretend, but what if they think I'm a hypocrite? Let me just out you, you are a hypocrite. That's the most loving thing I can say, Why? because I know I'm a hypocrite. There are things that I say that I am against that I will, if not careful, fall into and do. Sometimes willingly wanting to push aside Jesus to run to it. This is just the honest truth, is it not? That's just the reality of it. Yes, I love Jesus with everything in me, but there are times that I want to run to the flesh and do what the flesh wants because there's this drawing and this desire that I have to kill because if not, it will overcome me, overtake me, and I'll run to it. And so I'll be a hypocrite in a moment if I'm not careful. That's why it's so important that I confess and repent. That's why it's so important that I have accountability in my life. That's why it's so important that I find people that, that can encourage me and walk with me and press me on toward holiness and away from who Scott is. I need people who are gonna tell me the truth about me. That's what I need in my life. I need people who love me and are committed to Jesus enough to tell me the truth about me, all the while walking with me and continuing on that journey with me to, to press me and catapult me more toward holiness. Not self-righteousness or not this uh, uh, persona or aura that, that I've got it all together, I've got it figured out because hear me, I don't, I'm not even close. I'm not even close. So we're all hypocritical. We all have issues and hangups. Hear me, church, what alls the world is not your hypocrisy-laden self-righteousness. No, 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 no. It's our weakness that turns to strength of Christ and makes much of Jesus. That's what alls the world. That's what draws the world. Not when we fake it, because they know and they see through it too, do they not? They know that we cuss like a sailor. They know that we drink like a fish. They know that we do all of these things, that we, that we hit and mistreat our wife. They know all of that stuff, that we talk to our children like they're dogs. They know all of that. The world sees that and is aware of it. They know but God bless you, brother. You just kicked your dog and hit your wife and yelled at your child. And they see it and they know it. And then we talk all spiritual and nice to, no, no. We, we can, if you're hitting your wife and kicking your dog and cussing your children, we, we need to talk after this. But the reality is this, we need to press into Jesus. We need to seek him. We need to own our shortcomings and allow the Holy Spirit to work us over, the Holy Spirit to draw us to God, the Word of God to change us, and us to find godly men and women who will walk with us and be committed to us in helping us grow in our relationship with Jesus. That's what we need to do. See, what Jesus says here to the church in Ephesus is you keep making it about you, and if you don't stop, I'm gonna take your light lampstand. You want to build a kingdom unto yourself? I'm not in that business is what God just tells them. Get back to what you did at first, which is confess repentance ongoing. Saying, I'm in need. Jesus, I need you. The church flourishes when we stop playing games. The church will grow and bust at the seams when we stop playing games. And so I'm gonna tell you what breaks my heart this morning is this, is that there's some of you in this room that are too strong right now. You aren't tired enough yet. You aren't worn out enough yet. Brothers, sisters, history is not on your side. It does not end well for you because God is loving and gracious and the most loving thing he can do is out you in the reality of who you are. The most loving thing he can do is let you get caught in your sin because now you've got a hard choice to make. 
Not that I can kind of just slide by and get through with this. I can, I can, I've got him fooled, but no, no, no. He outs you. That's love and that's grace and that is mercy when he, when he allows people to see you for who you are because in that moment, then you make the choice. Am I gonna run to him and fall on my face before him or am I gonna try to justify it in front of everybody them knowing that my justification of it is not right? It's the most loving thing you can do because hear me, your sin will find you out. He loves you too much not to expose you. So as the story continues, I'm just gonna kind of story it for a moment as we get ready to kind of land here. Acts 19, 21 through 40 says this. Paul ends up sending Timothy and, and Aradius ahead of him to stay back in, in Ephesus there. And so there's this crisis that breaks out. And there's an Ephesian named Demetrius who uh, worked as a silversmith. And so his main job was to make these statues for Aramaeus, this, this Greek goddess there. And so since Paul started preaching about Jesus, remember last week we talked about how all of Asia had heard the gospel, not believed it, but they heard it. And so the gospel is starting to, to do a work there. Since he started preaching about Jesus, what happens is production is down for him. And so Demetrius gathers some of his other uh, silversmith buddies and they get fired up about the, the danger that this possesses to their industry. And so the men, they start shouting, great is Aramaeus to the Ephesians and, and they drag these two of Paul's companions. They drag him out to a huge theater and Paul wants to try to go in and calm things down, which we know Paul doesn't have a good history of doing that when he steps into something but his friends urge him to stay away. And then we see in 1932, and I just wanna read it to you because this is good right here, I believe. This is another sermon in and of itself. I'm not gonna go there, but just listen. It says, now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Is that not the world we're in? Oh, this mob mentality, we're just looking to jump something. Is, is that not it? We're just looking to, to jump in on the action. We don't even know why we're there, but will you meet? Yeah, let's jump and let's scream and let's yell and act a fool. I am in. I mean, we're just looking for something today in our world, are we not? I mean, what can I get amped up about? What can I scream and look like a fool about? Yeah, sure, what are we here for? What rally is this? Do I get a t-shirt? I'm in. Is that not the mentality of our world? The, the scriptures is that they don't even know why they'd come together. Church, we, we need to know what we're a part of. We need to know why we're doing what we're doing and what we're a part of. And we need to know what we're for, I believe more so than what we're against. We need to know what we're for and what we're proclaiming and what we're living out more so than what we're even against. And so the story goes on in Acts 19. Some of the Jews try to have a man named Alexander come forward and kind of silence the crowds because they can get in trouble for uh, creating a riot, for having a riot, but there's no luck. And so finally the town clerk gets everyone to quiet down. And, and he tells them, everyone knows how great Artemis is. No one's disputing that. These Christians aren't, aren't some crazy criminals or blasphemers. What's the big deal? Just leave them alone. If anyone wants to try to take them to court, then go ahead and do that. Otherwise, we just need to stop. We need to quit. We're going to get in trouble ourselves. And surprisingly, this works. And they go their own way. And they stop. And that's how Acts chapter 19 ends. And so as the band comes back up, as they lead us this morning in a song of response, I just want to ask you a few questions to close. The first question I want to ask you is this. How is God getting glory out of your life? How, how is God getting glory in this world out of your life? I mean, is it by the way you live? Is it by the, uh, the conversations you have? Is it by the way that you, you work? By the way that you do? By the ways you raise your family? By the way you, you, you talk? By the, by the way that you, you, you always bring conversation back to you? I mean, how is God getting glory in your life? What are you doing that's showing who he is? What are you doing pointing people to Jesus? Remember the very first thing we said? It wasn't Paul that did anything, but it, it was God that was doing these miraculous miracles. Not Paul, but God. 
So my question is, what are you doing to, to point people to Jesus? To show how good and mighty and gracious and loving he is. Where he gets glory and he gets honor. I mean, he used a hanky and hypocrites, for goodness sakes. He can use us if we'll just be willing, if we'll get our eyes off of us and point him to Jesus, if we'll allow him to do a mighty work in us. The second question I want to ask you is this. How well does the dark know your name? Is Satan well acquainted with you? And I don't mean because you meet him at certain places to go do certain things that you shouldn't be doing. I mean because he is aware when you walk in the room, the darkness trembles. Not because of anything in us, but because of Jesus in us. Now that's a, that's a whole, different, whole different story there. You and I walk into the room without the power of Jesus, we're nothing. Man, when we bring dad along, living in us, active, moving, working. Is Satan aware of who you are? Does the enemies of darkness tremble? And I guess my question for you would be is this, if they're not, then how can they become more acquainted with you? And I'm not talking about going looking for somebody demon-possessed. But what I'm talking about is this, usually the best place to start is on your face. And what I mean by that is this, is that we pray, is that we seek is that we get serious when we ask God to change our heart, ask God to help us love him more, ask God to help us be more serious, help us to be more disciplined, to be more focused. And there's little steps and little things that we can do. Last week we talked a little bit about being men and women of the word. We can start to get in the word a little bit, start to learn God's word. Man, I'm telling you, that's dangerous to the, to the, to the, um, to the darkness. The name of Jesus, dangerous to the, to the powers of darkness. Spending time on our face, praying and seeking on the behalf of others, that'll get its attention. That'll get their attention. So if we do that, and we get involved in the local body and we start serving and giving our life away, this is an unshameless plug for the children's ministry. I mean, we need you. I mean, did you not see right here? Those little hearts that we get to shape and mold for the glory of God. You wanna get the dark's attention right there is where it's at, church. Because he, he, wants no, he wants you to do nothing with this age. Oh, they're just a nuisance. Oh, they're just aggravating. They're running around everywhere. Can, we can't hold anymore. They're messing up the building. They're putting their fingers on everything. Those little dirty fingers, grimy fingers, you know, they put them everywhere. Stick them places they shouldn't stick them. Do with stuff they shouldn't do. Well, they're throwing that ball again in the hallway. Well, they ate seven donuts this morning and then their mom and dad put them back there for us. Okay, that was probably a confession on my part. I apologize. <laughs> we need to let Deanne know that I'm sorry. And the way we do that is by signing up this morning. Ah, I got you, didn't I? I mean, but man, that, that'll push the darkness back, man. Something that I haven't got over here recently is on Easter Sunday, my six-year-old stood up and said that he wanted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. Yeah, yeah, whoop. And there was an 11-year-old that sat over here that did the same thing. And you know what I know is, is I, I, I talked to adults that morning and kids happened to be here and the Holy Spirit fell on their heart and said, yes, we want Jesus too. Because the darkness wants to keep them as long as he possibly can and he wants them to try things out. He wants them to talk a certain way. He wants them to think a certain way. He wants them to act and respond and be in a certain way. You want to get the darkness's attention? You, you get involved in kids' lives. You serve and give yourself away there. 
Oh, you love on. Man, we've got people in this church right now that, that that's not their kids that are taking them out for, for lunch, that are taking them to, to events, that are doing things with them, that are there taking pictures, uh, pictures for their parents to be able to see, to, to, to broadcast how good these kids are and what God's doing in their life. Man, we've got adults in this room that are just loving on kids. And please, please don't stop. We just need more of you. We need more of you. And if you want to push the dark aside, that's how we do it. Because you know what? What I know simply this is, is my little six-year-old is going to go to school and he's going to have an opportunity. And what we're trying to push and what we're trying to tell him to do, there's going to come a day whenever he's not going to listen to it. And so I'm going to, I'm going to need help from, the, from, from a people, you know? That's what, that's what baby dedication was this morning, that we acknowledge we need help because there's going to come a day when dad's not cool anymore. And so I'm going to need other voices in their life telling them, echoing the same thing that I'm saying. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. But you don't have to think that way. You don't need to respond that way. You don't need to look that way. You don't need to act that way. That doesn't matter. All that matters is what Jesus, that's pushing the dark back, church. And man, we've got a great responsibility. So we seek God. We press into him and we allow him to, to use us at his disposal however he seems fit, whenever he seems fit. And the last thing I want to ask you is this. Man, when was the last time you, repent, you repented? When was the last time that you asked God to reveal to you the sin in your life? And then what you do is you own it and you lay it before him and you beg and you plead with him to break your heart over it so bad that you have this holy hatred towards sin. I, that's what I'm doing right now. Like, can I can just be honest for a moment? That, that's, that, that's why I'm, God, help me hate it like you do. Because there are parts of me that's just got this little taste of it and, it, and it and it intrigues me every once in a while, you know? It just pulls at me every once in a while. And I'm like, God, help me hate it like you do. God, help me hate sin, the taste of it, the very, I know what it does. And it's like once I partake in it or once it overtakes me a little bit and I give in, I'm just like, ah, oh, I'm an idiot. What am I doing? What am I doing? God, I know, oh, God, I'm sorry. And so I run to him. But you know who the second phone call is? Is my accountability partner. All right, bud, we need to talk for a second. What's up? I did this again. Or I said that, or I looked at that, or I thought that, or I acted that way, or I had this little outburst. Like, like just, just to be honest with you, like this morning, I'm getting ready to walk in. Somebody says something to me. I say, no, not right now. I don't have time. And so I just walk on in. And I'm sitting here, and after baby dedication, we're singing, and after the announcements, I'm like, oh, I've got to do something about that. Because I just felt in my spirit that maybe I was a little harsh. Maybe I was a little hard. And so while we're singing, I have to walk out and I have to say, look, I need to tell you, I'm sorry, first and foremost, I feel like I wasn't, they're like, no, you're good. Are you sure? We're good. I just want to be, I just want to be sensitive of sin or anything that could be, be sinful, you know? And so when was the last time you repented? God, forgive me, forgive me of loving something more than you. That's what repentance is. God, I'm sorry that I went against what you've said. I'm sorry that I've, that I've fought against you, that I've given it, whatever the case is, whatever, whatever I have uh, replaced with you for just that moment, God, help me hate it like you do. So when's the last time you've done those things? Church, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what God's stirred in you, but I want to say this, happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. What'd you hear about? These guys got beat up, left neck and bleeding. A hanky healed some people. Oh man, but God did a mighty work there in Ephesus, did he not? What, what, what could God do in our world, our culture, our community here in this church if we would just be real like that? God, help us this morning in this place. Jesus, may you get glory and honor. God, thank you for the moms. Thank you for the dads. Thank you for every single person that walked through these doors. God, I don't believe it was by chance. 
God, I believe that you are sovereign over it all, that you number uh, the, the very steps that we take and that you are well aware. And God, for whatever reason that you brought somebody here this morning, God, I pray that you encourage. God, I pray that you draw. God, I pray that you save the lost. God, this is all for your glory, for your honor. Help us be real. Help us be honest. Help us seek you. Jesus, we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. If you would stand, Eric and the band's going to lead us this morning in a song of response. If you want to come pray, if you want to have more conversation about anything that was said this morning in this place, if we can pray for you, anything like that. And that's what this time is. You worship Jesus as he calls you to in this moment.